0: Today, we will dive into Germany's education system with a wonderful teacher of geography. If nothing else, check out what she's doing with her students around the 30-minute marker, because it truly inspires me and really addresses a core concern in our world with the rising tides of nationalism. We will discuss in today's episode how Germany has tackled their nationalistic past that led to the Holocaust, and some tools that you can use as you see these anti-immigrant and racist sentiments stirring in your country. Let's begin. Welcome back to The Traveling Teacher. This is Mr. Peck, and I am so excited to have Miss Sandu joining us today. And as a warm-up, I thought I'd ask um, a question about a piece of advice or feedback that you received as a teacher that has inspired you Throughout your career, sure
1: thing. Um, so my uh, my uncle is or was a vice principal for over twenty five years in the um, Peel District School Board in Ontario. And one of the first pieces of advice advice that he gave me when I um, started teachers college was um, the thing that matters the most with is with students is Developing relationships because that's the thing that they're going to remember and that really struck with me um, throughout my career of working for 10 years. here in Germany and I am reminded of just how important it is to connect with students one-on-one To make them see make them feel seen make them feel heard and basically Yeah, just just connect with them as human beings
0: so Mm, I appreciate that. That's really gets to the heart of what I love about teaching. And so just to hear that from you means a lot. Uh, a piece of advice that I received was actually at the end of my first year of teaching. One of my uh, former students who's now doing incredible at UCLA, Sydney, she wrote me a letter that, that said, Ideal teachers are those who use themselves as bridges over which they invite their students to cross. Then having facilitated their crossing, joyfully collapse, encouraging them to create bridges of their own. Thank you for being an ideal teacher. And that really just yeah. It really um gets to like kind of the a, a crux of what I really care about as a as an educator. Yes, the relationships and that is like paramount and foundational, but then also making sure that they have that self-confidence. An ability to really create change and uh, be able to empower themselves uh, through the skills that they learn in the class. So it really meant a lot to get that letter, and it's it's stayed with me over uh, these years. Well, wonderful. Um, you mentioned that yes, you're teaching in Germany. We talked yesterday for a bit, so I got a little bit of background, which is wonderful. Ten years. Let's, can I give you a, a little round of applause for that? Uh, Decade, um, and so um, just getting a little bit of a of a macro view in Germany. You know, there's there's the compulsory primary education, and I'm curious what happens once they leave primary school. And as your experience as a teacher navigating students from elementary or primary to secondary, what does that look like um, for you as a teacher and for students?
1: When I first arrived in Berlin, I was placed as a sixth-grade teacher um, in a private school at the time. And students needed to be um, evaluated quite strictly um, on their language abilities, on content knowledge, um, transferring their skills in communication, and like in multiple subjects. So. Um, Preparing students from fifth grade into sixth grade um, was really, really important, and there's quite a lot of pressure put on students um, in order to make it to the next level because um, essentially between between grade four and grade six, students are recommended into possible three strands of secondary schooling. The first one is called a gymnasium which is essentially like a bit more academically driven, which can lead students to um, universities and colleges. Um, Then there's a um, integrated, um, integrated secondary school, which, uh, which basically teaches in a way that's cross curricular with multiple subjects, um, sorry, multiple subjects that focus on the same topic. Mm. Um, And then Students can decide after grade 10 if they want to apply again for um, post or like second level secondary school after grade 10 for 11th and 12th and then apply to um, some sort of undergraduate program and the third strand is a uh, called a Hauptschule and um, I guess it's translated as like a city school, um, and that's generally students who are would receive more vocational training um, and practical um, skills, less and are a little less academically driven. Um, but they would have things like apprenticeships um, and work placements and internships with multiple companies either as paramedics or working within the service industry. So that's that's those are the three tiers um, that students can kind of go into after uh, fifth or sixth grade. Um, in, in my personal experience,
0: it was a very difficult position to be in as a teacher. Sounds because, like it. Because essentially, the future of the child
1: and their future path is determined at a time where they are right in the throes of puberty, mm. yeah and a lot of students blossom a lot later than sixth, seventh, or eighth grade so mm-hmm. generally they can find themselves a bit more and they're much more confident with their abilities and they develop what they need to drive themselves either academically or in practical subjects um and uh, that happens a little bit later so to be to to be in a position to decide For students in fourth grade in some class in some schools or sixth grade which is my case was extremely difficult Um, and it took me about a year to wrap my head around um, this sort of the procedure that takes place and the testing that needs to be done for students Um, it's quite test driven so less project work for for those years especially and um, I think it's also because um, it's a bit cultural um, here in Germany for to, to have like concrete grades that you can count on to sort of place students in the where they where they are in the range or in the cl- in a classroom, um, and so of course there's a lot of pressure from students. There's a lot of pressure that from parents, and um, yeah, generally it. It uh, was um, hard <laughs> hard uh, yeah hard position to be in to have to decide that.
0: You can only imagine it's. Yeah,
1: so um, one of the advantages is that so students who are not following, uh, or sorry uh, that allows the students to sort of follow their strength, who don't want to follow an academic route. Um And it, I guess it works in theory, but um, it's it, it, it really separates students a bit into um, yeah, different uh, academic abilities um, that can be a little difficult to get out of mm. unless they're extremely like, um, extremely well-supported and have the drive from the teachers to make it into sort of the standards that they require post-10th grade. So, yes, um, that's what I have to say
0: about that. Yeah, that, it, that is, it kind of jumped me to when I was in Berlin, I saw this really fascinating play called The Land of Milk and Honey which was about the Israeli diaspora. And after conversations I had, there was really this kind of conversation how a lot of people don't necessarily have friends within uh, other groups, whether that means other religions or uh, their type of schooling they went to. And I'm wondering if this system, I mean, this may be a difficult question to answer, but if this system, you know, kind of makes it hard for people to integrate after being, going through these kind of this three-tiered system. Is that something you can, you may see in day-to-day interactions?
1: Well, um, it's a little difficult to say about how it is for the public school um, because I work in a private international school and I, I, I can say that my experience of working with private students and um, native German families, uh, also international families, is that they—I I, I would say that they are quite integrated. Um, whether the schools in the three tiers, at uh, this three different tiers, are integrated together, I, I cannot comment on that. But within our own school, and in working in a bilingual private school. They, like, students and sort of this idea of cultural acceptance is a lot more, um, a lot more on the forefront of families, um, like, goes in line with the beliefs that the families have, which is why they may choose to put their students in, or put their children in private schools versus going through the state system. Um, the other benefit is, of course, um, being able to, like, learn English. Um, learn English in multiple languages. So being in Europe, it's I, I believe it's required by law that students have to learn two languages. Mm. And um, Berlin offers uh, three, it's for students in seventh grade and up. Um, so they'll learn English and German, like... As dual languages, and they're most of them are completely fluent, and I think that really helps with feeling integrated because then they feel, then students feel like they can, of course, interact and um, and yeah, expand their horizons with communities from all over the world. Um, and then being in Europe it's much more advantageous for kids to learn French or Spanish, some kids learn I mean our school doesn't offer Russian but some schools offer Russian so that's it's absolutely amazing that these are are sort of tools to empower kids um, in order to kind of help them with this idea of tolerance and integration, like seeing how integration actually happens because they can understand different languages and therefore communicate with the kids exceptionally well.
0: That that point is so applicable to the United States and all over the world, how when you expand your knowledge of other languages, it, it empowers you not only uh, in your ability to connect with others, but your own mind is, is able to learn more and to expand your understanding um, of difference, and so I really appreciate like the the focus of that in your school and many schools um throughout Europe. I think that's really crucial to have that. Uh, I think one thing you mentioned too is like this this uh cultural acceptance, and uh you know better or worse, oftentimes when people here Germany, especially the United states they're gonna jump to uh the holocaust and so I'm curious about um talking about how that is. Uh, is taught in in Germany. In the United States, I think the issues of the genocide of Native Americans and slavery and racist policies that followed are largely swept under the rug. And, and it really, you know, keeps these problems still stirring and still at the forefront of our daily social lives. And I'm curious how Germany has dealt with that in schools and trying to push more of that cultural acceptance for everybody involved. Okay, yeah, no problem. Um,
1: so um, my, my colleagues that are responsible for teaching about Nazi, the his, World War II history, Nazi Germany, and the Holocaust have gone through quite extensive training. Um, they've gone through two professional development courses on how to teach about the Holocaust extremely sensitively. And, um, part of the curriculum actually, like the required curriculum is that students have to visit a concentration camp usually after grade nine and grade 10. And they are, I mean, it's, I mean, that topic is off, is taught, um, usually around grade nine and grade 10, because the students have a bit more of an understanding of, sort of the wider implications um, at a more regional level of sort of the consequences of war. And they can develop, they have a chance to really develop that um, critical lens um, in which to understand sort of these events that happened. And of course, being in Berlin, I mean, half of the classroom feels like it's outdoors because there are so many monuments and museums here that have done an absolutely exceptional job of documenting and um, presenting information that is, sorry, was the reality for uh, for Germany at that time. And it's, yeah, I guess, um, I guess, I mean, from what I understand about the state curriculum, is that students learn about um, divided Berlin and divided Germany and sort of the post-war issues that happened uh, in and around 6th grade or so, 6th grade and 7th grade, so they get that understanding of Germany um, and sort of the reasoning why the Soviet... um, Union was interested in having control in Germany because my colleague uh, when I was teaching sixth grade was responsible for, for communicating that information and he grew up as a he grew up as an East German oh, wow. um, during that time. So he was able to bring in very, very personal experiences. And we we brought in a lot of guest speakers and people that the students could really interview. Um, some of their family members uh, were um, were involved and it was, it was really like the curriculum built itself up as a, it, we were teaching students by building a bigger sense of community and that became a really powerful experience for both the kids and for me as a teacher because I had just arrived and I had a whole different perspective of how to teach such difficult topics in very manageable and um, very sensitive ways so that's something that I think Germany is doing very very well Um, and then of course when students get to an older level they learn about sort of like Arab Revolution Um, they learn about um, geopolitics with oil crisis we learn We teach about the migration crisis and how it affects Germany and sort of the issues that come up with um, this idea of nationalism that we see in the media. So students are thinking a more critical lens, and they're very empathetic because they're growing up in a very open-minded and um, tolerant society. Not everybody is of the same views, but... The student body that I've had the privilege of teaching over the years, many of them come with those,
0: um, those values already ingrained in them, which is Fabulous. absolutely phenomenal. No, it really is, and it's so wonderful to hear that the school and the system is really implementing these policies to really directly have these conversations and open up these, uh, these lanes for dialogue and community. I'm curious about, you know, you mentioned the migrant crisis and and Germany is taking a strong lead uh, on that for for the world. I'm curious of your experience um, for migrant students and how your school um, or you as a teacher, uh, what you've been doing in order to help them integrate into the German school system. Well, um, a few years ago when,
1: so, okay. I'll start. So students, um, it is required by the, by the German state that, um, because there's actually like, there's actually like refugee, um, centers within Berlin mm, that okay. i had the privilege of volunteering with, um, huh. um, through sort of an outreach program with our school and some parent initiative. And so, um, students who are of a certain age and if their asylum application has been processed by law, they have to be in school up until the age of um, I think it's around 16 or 17 and then they can choose to come to school. So because their schooling had been interrupted, right. um, like our school by law had no ch- had, of course had a very open policy, but also it was a stipulation put on by the Senate, Senate, uh, the state um, education board to accept a certain percentage of refugees who lived within the within the district, and so every school, public school and private school, were equally um, were equally meant or needed to take on these um, refugee students, and I had quite a few in my classroom. Um, I I had the privilege of hearing their story and sort of understanding how sort of they, you know, how to support them and how to help them um, with their own academic challenges, but also behavior challenges as they sort of processed these, the new, and adjusted to this new uh, life here. Um, And it was actually incredible because some students in who are now in my tenth grade class, and I taught them when they were a couple of uh, like a few years ago. They took on the initiative to create like a welcome, um, like a getting to know Berlin from the perspective of students, like oh. a little booklet to help um, these students to feel like they can get to know their city a bit better. Um, we had some families that hosted refugee students in their home, um, and they acted as host families. Um, we had we had a few organizations come into our school and educate our our uh, our student body about the importance of outreach and why these you know why creating. A connection with a local, like a food drive or a clothing drive, and where it actually goes. And I was very lucky to be there at, at that time and to be hired at my new um, school to really see how incredibly supportive our community is when it comes to like, just accepting and mobilizing, mobilizing and coming together in order to provide support for families. And it was an extremely powerful experience. So, yeah,
0: I... I would love to hear more about that, because I think that sort of... those policies are something that can really be instrumental in all schools. I, I truly believe that all schools need to be this community center that support the entire community and everybody in it. And especially when we have these communities uh, that are coming in who are, you know, whether they're migrants or are struggling with certain issues, I believe that the school can really be that center of support. And so I'm I'm curious, how does your school, you know, set up these initiatives um, and changes for the local community and, and for their outreach programs? What, Yeah, can you explain that further, because it's really, I think, important. Um, So there's a few things. Um, One is,
1: I mean, being in the center of the city, we're so lucky that uh, as a school we are connected to multiple international organizations. So the head of department that I have, she is an absolutely incredible force um, that I've had the privilege of working with for the last few years. And she often takes it upon herself to set up um, guest speakers to come in from the Food and Health Organization, to come in from the UN to set up things from the UNHCR um, Center and create field trips for students to see sort of how do international organizations actually work and what can we do to support them. Generally, that's a jump-off point for students to take their own initiative mm. to create some sort of fund, fundraising drive. Um, I've had some some I've had a student actually a few was it last year. He uh, is, was really interested in becoming a film director, so he took took the stories of refugee students in our school. And created a documentary, which was then aired for the Berlin Film Festival. Fabulous! Um, it was absolutely incredible, and I think he also might have had a film screening.
0: Is it online anywhere? Extremely, yeah, it is.
1: I can send it to you. Um, it was extremely, like, it was, it was such a compassionate project, um, and he got funding from other refugee outreach. Um, NGOs and you know I think that was an incredible initiative that they that students that he did Um, I mean we we have oh yeah so in uh, grade 9 every grade 9 student in Berlin has to complete a two week um, internship of like a work placement. Mm-hmm. And that's they, great. they have to do it for two weeks and they need to uh, they choose like their work placement and what they'd like to do. I've had multiple students talk and specifically to me about working at a, some people have worked at Vice Media. Um, some have worked at like architectural firms. Some have worked in, in NGOs. Like, quite a lot have worked in NGOs. And later, they've been offered, like, further summer school, summer jobs, um, because of how, like, wonderful they were in supporting the team that, you know, the team that they're working with for those two weeks. So, we okay, have that. Um, we have students just um, really, like, of their own interest wanting to support and make a difference to local communities where they can, and yeah, that's, uh, they've volunteered their time at, um, at, a, at homeless shelters um, in our school, and in grade 12, grade 11 and 12, as part of the International Baccalaureate Curriculum, students need to complete what's called a CAS um, component in order to graduate from the IB before they go to university, and they need to um, basically they choose a certain number of hours uh, and a, an organization that provides a chance to be creative, that they're actively engaging in the community, and they provide some sense of service. So quite a few students also do um, outreach sometimes as groups, sometimes as um, on their own with refugee communities like teaching refugees how to uh, integrate better in Berlin, either working with tutoring, getting tutoring lessons in German or English. So those are just some examples. Yeah. Some small initiatives that our students have taken upon themselves to sort of connect with the larger um, community as the so-called crisis kind of unfolded and put Germany at the top of the stage in as a leader in accepting over 1 million people during that time.
0: It may be small, but it definitely had a large impact. I definitely want to applaud your students for doing that. I, I really believe that when we give our students the opportunities, they come up with the most creative and ingenious ways to really create awareness. Uh, you know, in, in my class on social justice it was remarkable to see these students really just come up with so much creativity on how to spread awareness and and create change and it was really uh, in, in powerful, empowering to see students you know direct themselves in that way uh, and i will definitely uh share that the that video out um on social media because i think more people need to see that uh oh, absolutely I'll, I'll ask permission from him if please Yes. But I'm
1: sure he
0: would be absolutely thrilled. Yay. Uh, Well, I'd also just really love to hear about your class, because I think what you're doing, uh, I mean, all of that uh, is really inspiring and, and definitely fills me with a lot of ideas. But I also think your class directly is really fascinating. And so if you could kind of just describe what you teach and how you address historical and contemporary issues of injustice. So um,
1: at the moment I'm teaching grades seven and eight um, an integrated curriculum with the Berlin state and sort of a what's called a middle years program approach of a cross-curricular, cross curricular um, cross topics like multiple topics. Um, I teach geography, and so the, the the subject itself lends itself lends itself completely to Addressing contemporary issues, yeah,
0: um, especially as they come up in the news. Yes, um, I also teach
1: grade nine and ten, and I teach the International uh, General Certificate of Secondary Education, which is um, conducted by um, Cambridge, and set by Cambridge. And again, those topics are also very contemporary in terms of the examples that I use, that um, can kind of can help connect kids with the content. So um, one of the things that I'm starting with my grade eights at the moment is a it's, it's I've made it into a personal challenge for them where they choose some choose a habit that they have that could connect to leading to climate change in some way mm-hmm. and later they will um, they will uh, of course do like research and develop the skills that they need um, but also. Um, begin to have a conversation about how to be critical of the people that are involved and sort of the consequences that their actions or their consumptive habits or sort of our indulgence in this capitalist society has on the environment in other places
0: for other people Um, and to really develop a empathetic um,
1: understanding of how we're all connected as a global world Um, and then they, and then my class, my students are super excited. (laughs) They're a very motivated (laughs) bunch. Um, and they immediately wanted to do some sort of social action right away. So (laughs) one student suggested like, Oh, let's like Amazon is burning. Like, let's create a fund. Let's make it, let's make a crowdfunding thing online and get all the community members involved on, like, that'd be great. Let's, let's think about, let's see how we'll, like, bring this together. (laughs) Another student wanted to adopt, like, adopt this, uh, a young girl, um, in a less developed country to give her a chance for education. So these are all of their own initiative. Um, I've had some students who are interested in solar panels. And alternative energy sources. And she's absolutely determined to change the electricity provider of our school to becoming more sustainable. So I'm working with her on a proposal to the head of our school and to the board. So it's quite interesting. Um, we've had um, students engage in the model United Nations. Um, debating competition, and they go off and um, yeah, they present their ideas um, to other international schools, and um, at the moment, it's funny enough, where my grade 7 class is uh, creating a debate on whether um, communities should allow refugees into, into their villages and towns, and what cost and benefit and disadvantages there might be, or why there might be resistance, and so it's really forcing students to challenge their own personal beliefs, and they're finding it extremely hard because it goes against what they, uh, uh, their ideas of tolerance and acceptance, um, to try and understand sort of why countries may have a hard stance in accepting and allowing asylum applications in for, like, to be put through. So, these are just some of the debates that I'm having with my classes at the moment.
0: And they're all sound, yes, yeah, <laughs> no, that's remarkable. I think one thing I I know that like, will we'll jump into some, you know, the educators' minds is how do you really engage, you know, 13-year-olds to be able to really have these type of like critical lens and, uh, you know, be personally driven to create these initiatives, like what Kind of practices are you implementing or structures in your classroom that are really inspiring students to engage in this way? Well, I think in the, I think
1: one thing I've noticed about uh, this this cohort that I'm teaching is that they are they're so driven in wanting to share their opinions. Like I think most teenagers and adolescents just want to be able to talk. Yes. So. I try to facilitate um, open-ended questions and pose very difficult questions to, or, to them. That ends up kind of being a place where other conversations and topics um, come up for them, and then they then I challenge them in how how they can prove those ideas or what other what, why they felt uncomfortable saying that or um, tasks that happen. Um, But I think in the end, in order for them to be critical thinkers, we need to provide them with opportunities to be critical. And that happens through questioning. And later on, they'll be able to do that with, like, sources and uh, in a more academic sense. But because they're so driven at the moment, I, I just try to be the person sits at the side and just guides their discussion in a way that can be more um, critical. So one of the things I did actually the day for my class was have an image projected from the New York times mm-hmm. education section where there's pictures that um, like journalists and photographers have taken that um that can be fuel for just inquiry. Mm -hmm. And students, uh, my students were extremely engaged with what was going on in the picture, what it could be representing, um, why it might be connected to our topic of, um, you know, climate change. And then we ended up reading, like going through and decoding an article on how Canada and Russia, Finland, Sweden, etc., are all interested in the Arctic and what further geopolitical problems might that pose for the region and for the communities and for nature. And this was just the tip, literally the tip of the iceberg of our yeah. conversation. And they were—I've uh, never seen my class like almost jumping out of their seat, trying to share what they wanted to say. And I saw that they were really caught on and it was, it was a kind of a spontaneous lesson that I planned um, because those happen some days.
0: Yeah, they do. It was, it, was, it was absolutely incredible to,
1: uh, to see just how how they took on with this opportunity. I think sometimes in class, you know, in order to maintain some sense of authority or control, um, as teachers, um, some people might be a little less reluctant to engage and have that freedom. But I think this is the, that is where real learning take, like, takes place. So it was very, very rewarding for me.
0: Yeah, and rewarding for your students. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I, I love how you started off this conversation with the importance of relationships and then dived into really creating this like rigorous and critical kind of you know classroom which makes them really inquisitive and thoughtful and, and pushing these ideas and and creating open space for that to occur I think that is a really remarkable inspirational uh, class that I, I you know I'm definitely getting really excited with ideas in which I can implement in my classroom. And so I want to thank you again for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I just want to finish off with one final question uh, about, you know, if you had unlimited resources and in a position to, like run your own school, your own school system, what would be your, what would, you know, the perfect school or school system look like for you? Oh, okay, so my perfect school system would be. Um, would be. <laughs> I know it's tough. <laughs> um, it would be. It would be a chance to
1: allow students to um, engage with sort of digital media, have access to digital media. Hmm. Um, because I think those are the literacy skills that they absolutely need to develop um, and to provide training to students on how to use the programs and um, become critical about what they're learning and the tools that they're learning with. That would be one. Um, And then the second one would be, of course, social outreach by far, by far and large, (laughs) like provide them with like budgets on how – to create a grassroots organization for a particular need in their community or connect our school with another school in a less developed country and to actually track the progress over years, over many years. Um, I'm a bit of an idealist in that sense.
0: (laughs) We need those. Um, and, And I absolutely think that through
1: these smaller actions that the students are doing, maybe you know, they'll feel uh, propelled and inspired enough to um, further study uh, sustainable, yeah, sustainability. And that's that, that, that's where our future is headed. And that's where these incredible inquisitive minds, extremely bright minds, are our future. So to provide them with the opportunities to create these, you know, tools or apps or um, technologies that will essentially be um, their future.
0: So, cheers to that. Um, for our future, uh, we'll, we will close out on that. Um, I'm, again, I'm so excited that I was able to have this conversation with you Um, and also I want to thank you something that you know that you brought up yesterday when we were talking was the idea of of, you know connecting teachers across the world and I'm so lucky on this journey where I'm meeting teachers from all uh, different places Um, and and so yeah look out for that friends of the podcast uh, teachers out there you know teaching is about sharing and it's about really learning from different teachers and being able to meet different teachers if you happen to be traveling. So again Nisandu, thank you for the conversation. Thanks for that inspiration. I'm really excited uh, to talk with you again soon.
1: Absolutely. I'm super grateful that uh, we were able to have this conversation and I feel like what you're doing is absolutely phenomenal and really inspiring and to create this type of dialogue is just just an amazing
0: thing. So um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, again, I appreciate you, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. I feel inspired and wish I were in front of students tomorrow. While there was a lot to think about, three key ideas really stood out to me. One, the use of language classes as a tool for empowerment, empathy, and connectivity. Two, social outreach opportunities to provide students with a social justice mindset and lens. And three, relationships with both students and their parents. As always, thank you so much for listening. And please add me on Instagram at the Traveling Teacher Podcast and follow me on whatever streaming app you are using. Class dismissed.